Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Golf Betting On Demand. I'm your host, Rick Gaiman, and this episode is everything you need to know to bet this week's AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. And while there is a lot to talk about for this week, we have to look back at last week. Last week was the Waste Management Open, which uh, ended in quite the fury with Webb Simpson capturing his first win since the 2018 Players' Championship, uh, something that uh, he's been knocking at the door at. I've come on here and I've beat my chest over and over for Webb Simpson. Unfortunately, did not make it onto my betting card before the tournament started, but he did end up make my making my betting card by the end of the week. So after two rounds, I was digging through the uh, strokes gain statistics on my website and I was like, there's something about two of these guys in the field that that is really standing out to me. And those were Webb Simpson and Xander Shoffley. And the reason that they stood out is they were both within a handful of shots of the leaderboard. They were both in the top 15 at the midway point. And they had both played very well, tee to green, but had only gained less than one stroke putting. Which, if you know my philosophy and you know how this goes... Generally speaking, um, a lot of guys ride the hot putter to victory, but it's hard to keep it going over four days. So when you had two golfers that were sitting there and playing well, striking the ball well, hitting it um, off the tee well, hitting it on approach well, and they weren't relying on a hot putter, that to me was not red flags, white flags, blue flags. I don't know. Whatever color is like, this is a go here. Um, so I actually placed a bet on both of them. I got Webb at 16 to one. And I believe I got Xander at, I don't know, 12, something like that. Um, because those to me were the guys that were most likely to continue their success and move up the leaderboard, not fall back because of a hot putter. So those are the types of types of things that you're looking for in play week to week as this stuff is happening because it is, you know, there's so many different ways to get to victory. One of them is catch a hot putter for four days, but it's very difficult to keep it going. Uh, Additionally, uh, Vegas knew this is a number we talked about. You know, we said 12 to one before the tournament started. They are finally putting the respect on the name of Webb Simpson that we've been talking about here for months. And it pays off. He was the third favorite in the field. He goes out and wins. Uh, I actually felt a little personal redemption out of this because it was four years ago. I mentioned I had Ricky Fowler at the Waste Management uh, with a two-shot lead with two to play. He goes and loses that two-shot lead and loses into a playoff 
uh, loses in a playoff to Hideki Matsuyama. Flip the script here. Tony Finau does the same thing. Two-shot lead with two to go. Webb makes two birdies, gets into a playoff, wins on the first playoff hole. Like It felt like a little personal redemption for me leading into the Super Bowl. It was a heck of a time. Uh, unfortunately, Webb did not make my betting card here. We had Hideki and we had Gary Woodland. Both make the cut, both underperform when you're talking about outright bets. Like that's, uh, you know, there's only one, there's only one outcome that makes you happy. It's a win. So if they don't win, it doesn't really matter if they finish second or 100th. It, it, it really doesn't. Both guys make the cut. Both played well enough. Hideki just cannot get that putter going to save his life. Every time he lines up a putt, it looks like he is holding the putter for the first time. But I know I got a lot of tweets. I got a lot of congr- congratulatory messages. I know a lot of us uh, did pick up Webb in play in, in the Twitter sphere. Uh, so congrats to all of those who did. This week, AT&T, Pebble Beach, Pro-Am, a lot of things to talk about here. We are back, unfortunate, fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, but we are back to a course rotation. So this is a three-course rotation with Pebble Beach playing the host, meaning that will be where the final round is played. And then there is uh, Spyglass Hill and Monterey Peninsula, two courses there in the area as well. Now, this is similar but not identical to just a few weeks ago, the American Express, which also utilizes a three-course rotation. But those three courses in the California desert are like the three easiest courses on the PGA Tour. Not necessarily going to be the case for this week as all three of the courses for the Pebble Beach Pro-Am are within the top half of the most difficult courses on tour last year. Pebble Beach played 12th hardest. That does not include the U.S. Open that it hosted. That was actually the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, 12th most difficult. Uh, Spyglass Hill was the 20th most difficult, and Monterey Peninsula was the 22nd most difficult out of 49 courses. So this is not going to be a 30-under birdie fest. Uh, Winning score probably looking in that high teens, maybe 20-under par, depending on how everything shakes out. But remember, here's how the course rotation works. Every golfer in the field will be playing each of the three courses for the first three rounds, and then there will be a 54-hole cut. After the 54-hole cut, all the remaining golfers will come back together for Pebble Beach, final round at Pebble Beach um, on Sunday. There is the amateur aspect of this, so there are going to be however many amateurs out there, uh, which makes for very long days, very long rounds. You're watching your partner hack it out, take a seven, whatever. It just... It takes a while. Um, So this is going to be like six and a half hour rounds. We've talked before that not a lot, like there's guys that can deal with this and there's guys that cannot deal with this. Generally, some of the faster players don't like to sit around and watch their partner hit a bunch of shots, take six hours to get in. It can kind of mess with them a little bit. And other guys, you know, Phil Mickelson, uh, who we've seen have such great success at these type of events where it's like, ah, he's easy going, he's laid back, it doesn't really matter. Uh, But that will certainly come into play this week. And then for the host course, uh, Pebble Beach itself, and actually the other two courses are generally three of the shorter courses on the PGA Tour. So while driving distance is, okay, driving distance is always a benefit. Do not get me wrong. Uh, It will not necessarily be a prerequisite for winning this week. You will not have to be a bomber. Although, as with every other week on tour, 
bombing helps. There are kind of um, some unique, just just kind of general landing areas in which, or I guess I should say natural landing areas, where you'll see a lot of the golfers hit from the same spot because you don't want to be too close to the green. You don't want to be too far back. There's kind of natural landing areas on the Pebble Beach course, which is the only course that we will have shot link data on. It's the only course that we will have uh, these stats that I reference on. When I reference anything strokes gained related, uh, strokes gained approach, strokes gained around the green for this tournament, I'm specifically talking about Pebble Beach because that's the only course that will have it set up for this week. Additionally, Pebble uh, itself has the small, if not the smallest greens on tour, one of the smallest greens on tour. So that means you're going to want uh, good ball strikers, guys that can hit their irons very well. You end up hitting a lot of wedges here uh, because it is short, because the greens are small. The you know That's the defense around here, right? Those small greens, they can make it firm and fast if they want to. It is... Uh, it ends up being a wedge fest a little bit. And uh, also you're around the green game certainly comes in handy. There are a lot of weeks on the PGA Tour where I kind of write off the short game around the green in general, uh, because if you're having to get up and down for par, you're probably not winning the golf tournament. Not necessarily the case here because of how small the greens are. There's going to be a lot of missed greens and you're going to have to get up and down or at the very least avoid the big number if you go out and miss the green. All right. I think that's all for the course preview. Past champions, these guys should look familiar to you. I mean, we have a lot of great course history. We're going on like, I don't know, 20 years or something of this event being played at Pebble Beach. It's just such a staple on the PGA Tour schedule. Phil Mickelson, your defending champion. We will talk a lot about him uh, in just a bit. 19 under par. Ted Potter Jr. two years ago beat Dustin Johnson in a playoff. Remember that one? Yeah, we didn't see that one coming. Ted Potter Jr. two years ago. Jordan Spieth, 17 under three years ago. 2016 was Von Taylor and 2015 was Brant Snedeker, those are your past five uh, champions, all kind of within that. You know, Snedeker went 22 under, but you're looking in that 17 to 20 under par number is probably going to win it uh, this week out in Pebble Beach. Let's, uh, let's turn our attention a little bit to this betting board and the top of it and see if anything jumps off out of the gate. First of all, uh, top of the betting board, Dustin Johnson is back six and a half to one. Patrick Cantlay, I almost called him Patrick Johnson. Patrick Cantlay follows right behind at nine to one. Then there's a little bit of a gap. Uh, 16 to one is Paul Casey, followed by Matt Kuchar at 20 to one. A little bit interesting. That's one of the shorter odds that we've seen on Matt Kuchar recently. So he's 20 to one, fifth best odds in this field followed by both Jason Day and Brant Snedeker at 25 to 1. Uh, those two kind of in a similar bucket where they're trying to figure out what their form is. Uh, we're trying to figure, you know, Snedeker missed uh, missed the cut last week. He was actually like the biggest name to miss the cut at the Waste Management. Comes to a place he's had a lot of great success. We'll try to figure out what that path is. And then Jason Day's here, which is like, you know, in the same way I, I am not a Phil Mickelson guy, I'm not necessarily a Jordan Spieth guy, Jason Day kind of falls into that category, but he's a little bit more interesting. Uh, followed then by Matt Fitzpatrick, 28 to 1. That's a very short number. Phil at 28, incredibly short. And then Daniel Berger and Brandon Grace round out the top 10 at 33 to 1. Uh, what this betting board tells me is that this is a weak field. Quite, I mean, very straightforward. When, when Daniel Berger 
is the ninth favorite at 33 to 1. This is a weak field. I don't think there's any way around it, quite frankly. Uh, so not only is there uh, just a one or two or maybe three names at the top that are really interesting, it, it falls off a cliff even in the first tier. And then after that first tier, it falls off even more. Like you're going to see like multiple cliffs here. So we'll talk through what the strategy is for something like this event where you get a very weak field. We'll go through each section of the betting board. We'll finish up with some long shots, and then I'll give you who is actually on my betting card for this week. So it should be fun. Uh, Remember, the takeaways are elite ball strikers. Distance is awesome, but not necessarily going to be a requirement for this week. And guys that are probably, you know, a little harder to quantify, guys that are laid back, they're going to be okay with those six hour rounds. So we'll get started with the studs at the top of the betting board. We're going to talk DJ. We're going to talk Cantlay. We're going to talk Paul Casey, all the big names right after these words. Are you ready for the nation's first and only free 24-hour network dedicated to you, the betting and fantasy sports enthusiast? SportsGrid will provide you with real-time content, statistics, and gaming intelligence unlike anything you've ever seen before. Located both in the heart of New York City and inside the FanDuel Sportsbook at the Meadowlands, SportsGrid is live 18 hours a day, here to serve you, the fanatic. This is SportsGrid. Get on the grid. Have you written a book and need some insight into what comes next? Or are you passionate about cooking and want to know how to make it your career? Or maybe you just want to hear insider stories about the entertainment industry. Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. And on our podcast, Two Guys from Hollywood, we bring our expertise to the table with, of course, delicious cocktails and all kinds of recipes for you to try at home. So grab a drink and join us. We've got a wide range of celebrity guests and Hollywood insiders to discuss pop culture, publishing, and entertainment. And we'll provide you with an unfiltered and sometimes brutally honest show about Hollywood. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. I'm still on my own journey, but I want to be transparent with you because as I was posting all the highlights of my life on social media, I was breaking down. And too many people fall victim to the picture-perfect image of the high life. So I created a space to discuss the good and the bad. We can laugh, man. We going to learn. And most of all, I hope to inspire you to go on this journey with me to better mental health. This is going to be your church, your turn up, and everything in between. So join me on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, a safe space for every kind of person. Listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Golf Betting On Demand, and it is AT&T Pebble Beach Week 
we're going to have all the views, right? We're going to have that short little par three downhill. We're going to have Jim Nance on CBS doing his whole thing. Also, Jim Nance lives there. Okay, real quick sidebar. I did not realize this about Jim Nance. So if you guys are aware, Jim Nance, the announcer for, for CBS, he has a place up at Pebble Beach. He has this famous hole. It's a, it's a par three that is replicated to number seven or number eight, that downhill par three on uh, at Pebble Beach which is like the iconic hole. I did not realize that is like 50% scale of the actual hole. It's 54 yards at his house. It's 108 at Pebble Beach. It, the elevation is exactly 50% to scale. That's wild, but that's what you're going to see. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll show footage of it this week. Phil Mickelson will be hitting over there. Uh, Tom Brady, like they'll, they'll have footage of that. Always a good time. Anyway, that's what you're looking at for this week. Let's jump into the top of the betting board with Dustin Johnson at six and a half to one. And I've got to tell you, I rarely say this about anybody who is six to one. I think I like it. This might be the bet. I have been on this show for nearly a year, basically avoiding all of these really short winning numbers, six, seven, eight. Even nine to one, a lot of times is very short based on the betting strategy that I like to employ. It's difficult for me to find a bet there. Um, and I, I stand by that. However, we grow and we look at each week individually. And to me, I think I like this six and a half number. And I will tell you why. This is an incredibly weak field. Um, as I mentioned at the top, when Daniel Berger is 33 to one. Brandon Grace is 33 to one. And they are like your ninth and 10th favorites in this field. Um, DJ at six to one starts to look a lot better. And to put it in perspective, John Rahm was this number last week. He was like six and a half or seven to one at the waste management at a place that has like, the field is like five times as deep. There's like, there's like, 10 of the top 20 players in the world there last week. John Rahm is the favorite um, at the same number. Rory was seven to one, basically the same number at the Farmers. Or I'm sorry, yeah, no, at the Farmers, which is a much more difficult course, a much more difficult field. Tiger's there, Ricky's there, like literally everybody's there. And this event, which is not only a place that DJ has absolutely demolished, but it's a 54-hole cut. So when you guarantee the best players in the world more rounds, that is to their benefit, obviously. Anything can happen where you have one bad round and you miss the cut and now you go home. Or like anything can happen when you guarantee these golfers three full rounds, it is much more likely that one of the better players coming in actually wins the golf tournament. So in terms of Dustin Johnson himself, he has gained 2.3 strokes per round at Pebble Beach for the last 12 years. It's the most ever in that span. Only, I'm sorry, it is not the most ever. It's the second most ever. Only Jason Day has averaged more. He has two wins and seven top five finishes in his 11 starts here. The guy has been uh, an unbe unbelievable record, unbelievable run. He's coming back from Saudi Arabia where he just finished second. So we're seeing a lot better golf from him. He played well. Remember he had, oh my gosh, the end of his 2019 calendar year was brutal. Um, you know, he played terribly at the tour championship, finished like dead last. It was one of the worst events he's ever had. Um, got the knee procedure done, 
So now he comes back. He's played fairly well, played well at the President's Cup. That was the first time we saw him. Seventh at the Tournament of Champions, and he just went second in Saudi Arabia. Now, I suppose... The concern is that he's coming back from Saudi Arabia here and you've got to do the whole flight and get back into the time change and all that stuff. That's going to affect every golfer differently, quite frankly. And there's not really a huge sample size on DJ. So I tried to win, tried to look back and see what when did he go overseas to either Saudi Arabia or Abu Dhabi um, this time of year, which is where he usually is, come back and play the next week. From what I can tell, in the last like six or seven years, he's done it three times. Uh, the results on the back end of it were like a missed cut, a 45th, and a sixth. So it's it's really hard to glean too much information from that from three starts um, when he's really only done this three times. So I don't know. I, I'm not going to tr- to push the whole coming back from Saudi Arabia narrative again. Um, but this six and a half to one is, is actually very appealing when you look at the rest of this field, which leads into Patrick Cantlay at nine to one. I like Cantlay, uh, just not this week. He's, he's just been playing a little, I shouldn't say a little, he's been inconsistent and he's been a little uninspiring. So we had a second at the Shriners. Then he went 17th at the hero world challenge, which is only an 18 man field. So almost dead last fourth at the tournament of champions and then back to 34th in Abu Dhabi where he should have like absolutely contended in that field. So it has been almost ping ponging back and forth worth of results for Patrick Cantlay, who I guess if you're playing that game, this would be the week he finds success if he just goes back and forth. But um, Cantlay already a slow player. You would think that the, the speed of this event would would actually benefit him, but we haven't seen that. 48th and 35th in his last two starts here at Pebble Beach. I don't know. It's just hard to pay. I, like Again, I don't like paying 9-1 to one on anybody, and it's especially not going to be Patrick Cantlay when I, for 6.5-1, to one, can go get Dustin Johnson, who I have many less concerns over, who has a, a great track record around here. It just doesn't behoove me to go out and try to jam uh, Patrick Cantlay onto my betting slip for uh, for this week. Paul Casey's right behind him at 16-1. to one. This is where, okay, so this is our first mini drop off. Okay. So you've got six and a half, nine to one mini drop to 16. Cause you don't have anybody at 12 to 14. Uh, and then we're going to get kind of a few more of these as we go down the betting board. But Paul Casey, I'm not sure it's that far fetched to say he has played more golf worldwide than almost anybody since like the end of the 2019 PGA tour season. So he played the tour championship. Um, Then he went over and he played just a bunch in Europe before coming back, but he won the week after the tour championship at the Porsche European open. Then more recently, just in the last handful of weeks, he finished in in a fifth place tie at the Australian open. Paul Casey is just a consummate professional that whatever event you put him in, he's going to likely find success. He's going to make his money. He's probably going to finish in the top 10, 15, top 20. He's always going to put himself in contention. He's very rarely going to play himself out of an event. Course should fit him. We look at it and we say, okay, Paul Casey's a great ball striker. He's awesome with his wedges, the putter, you know, here and there. But this should be a course that fits Paul Casey. And his recent results have actually shown us that. So, um, excuse me, second place finish last year, eighth in 2018. Just like those are the only two times we have a record of him playing here and it's been great. So when you're comparing, even like without the odds, I would probably just take Casey over Cantlay in uh 
tournament matchup, just like between me and my buddies. Like if I have the opportunity to take one over the other, I'm probably just leaning Casey anyway. Throw in the fact that I'm getting him at 16 to one versus the nine to one number that's sitting on Cantlay. There's probably no chance I can find a bet on Patrick Cantlay. I don't know if Casey will end up making um, my final betting slip. Uh, I like him. I don't know if I necessarily love him. We'll see how the rest of this field pans out, but I am certainly way more optimistic on him than I am on someone like Cantlet. And then here's where things really start to get interesting. Um, Jason Day. So Jason Day, who is 28 to one. Uh, also, he's five and a half to one for a top five finish. I don't know if I'll ever say this again. Um, I kind of like Jason Day here. This This starts to feel like the right number in the right field at the right time. I mean, we've we've seen a lot of Jason Day where he's had the wrong number, where he's been 28 to 1 when he should be 40 to 1, or we've seen him at 28 to 1 when he should be 60 to 1, something like that. It's definitely the course form. I'll get to that in a second. And it's it's feeling like he's trending a little bit. Um played well enough the last time we saw him at the farmers. I think he finished 16th or 17th. But here's my concerns around him. He has lost strokes on approach in five straight events, which is absolutely terrifying, especially for a guy who is supposed to be the ball striking connoisseur. The plus side of this is that he has gained a lot and often around the greens and putting, which are two skill skill sets, excuse me, that you're going to need in a big way around Pebble Beach. You will not find a better course history or a course record than Jason Day. So we're talking no worse than an 11th place finish. Yeah, 11th. No worse than an 11th in his last five trips. He has made all 10 of his cuts in 10 starts here, including eight top 15 finishes. There's going to be no one. I mean, he's rivaling DJ level course history around here. Now, you know how I feel about Jason Day in general, where, um, Guy, I throw him in the same bucket that I do with Phil Mickelson, with Jason De- uh, Jordan Spieth, and then Jason Day, of course, where this is a make-or-break year for them. And we have seen little life from Jordan Spieth already this year. We've seen little life from Phil Mickelson, who we'll talk about in just a second. Uh, Jason Day, we've at least seen a pulse from. Okay, the good finish at Farmers, he wasn't able to put four rounds together, but he was able to play his way around a very difficult golf course. Pebble is probably a better fit for him because he can spray it a little bit more. Uh, you don't have to be as accurate around here. So that's probably why he's had such good success at Pebble Beach. Um, I don't know if I, I think if I look at this five and a half to one for the top five, um, I think I'd probably just rather bet him outright. He, I think he's the type of guy that uh, if he's if he's in contention, he's just as likely to win. You don't necessarily need to, I don't want to say waste the money betting him on top five, unless you're going to do both of them, right? Unless you're going to each way this and do it outright along with a top five. Um, but I feel like if he's in contention, he has a pretty good chance of winning. Otherwise, he's probably not in contention and he's probably out of it. I, I think I like the 28 to one number better than the five and a half to top five this. But I'll probably try to get him uh, in some matchups with Phil Mickelson because they're both sitting there at the same price. So uh, we'll talk about the woes of Phil Mickelson more, uh, but first let's hear a quick word. 
Are you ready for the nation's first and only free 24-hour network dedicated to you, the betting and fantasy sports enthusiast? SportsGrid will provide you with real-time content, statistics, and gaming intelligence unlike anything you've ever seen before. Located both in the heart of New York City and inside the FanDuel Sportsbook at the Meadowlands, SportsGrid is live 18 hours a day, here to serve you, the fanatic. This is SportsGrid. Get on the grid. Welcome back to Golf Betting On Demand, AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am Preview. We've covered the course, we've covered the top end of the betting board, and let me start on uh, a guy that I just like cannot even imagine betting at 28 to 1, and it's Phil Mickelson. I mean, just pull my string, pull my string every week. I don't care that Phil Mickelson won here last year. I don't care that he finished in a tie for third last week in Saudi Arabia, which by the way is the first top 15 that Phil has had since his win here last year. Yeah, a year's worth of results, no top 15s. I say it all the time. Like it's like Phil's great for the game. I wish he was still awesome at golf. The fact of the matter is he is not. And what you're paying for is the notoriety of Phil Mickelson. You're paying for the course history. You're paying for, I guess, potentially some of the top three or the tie for third last week in Saudi Arabia. It's just like the guy should be 60 to one. 70 to 1 in this field. I mean, all of the same problems with Phil are still here. 200th in driving accuracy. He's spraying it all over the place. He's 91st on approaches. That's going to kill you around here. And even worse, he's 202nd in putting. Think about that. When you look at Phil and think about Phil, you know he's a short game master, or is it, that is at least what everyone wants you to believe. And his around the green game is still great. Don't get me wrong. It's still fine. But 202nd in strokes gained putting. And he was like 170th last year. It's been like two, it's been like a year and a half since he's been that top 20 putter that you expect when Phil tees it up. Like it just hasn't been that. So the, the, the best aspect of his game is now gone. He has not improved in any other aspects and his results have not proven any reason to get excited about him. So why am I excited about him? Why would I ever bet 28 to one? I mean, at least Jordan Spieth, you know, we pair all these guys together because I kind of paired them all together at the, uh, at like the yearly preview and at least Spieth's numbers moving, at least Spieth's 40 to one. Like (laughs) I'd, I'd rather bet Jordan at 40 than Phil at 28. At least Jordan, who also has great history around here, at least his number's actually moving. The fact that Phil's number is not moving is pure bonkers. I don't understand it. So, um, no, I will not be investing in Phil for the foreseeable future. And, uh, we'll just pull my string and I'll go on a quick two minute rant every single week, uh, until, um, I guess until he's playing on the champions tour or something or until he wins, until he shows signs of life. Honestly, if he just comes back and shows signs of life, like he, he's just done nothing. Um, all right. Guy who is also kind of in a bounce back situation, Victor Hovland, 35 to one. Scrolling through the numbers, this one got me. 
this one got me. This is a pretty good number because I still believe he is one of the elite golfers in this field. Um, it's been a rough stretch for him. It has absolutely been a rough stretch. I believe he's missed like three of his last four cuts worldwide. Uh, hasn't played all that well, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Going back to like the U.S. Open of last year. So he turns pro after the U.S. Open last year. Um, let me see if I have this right. Eight top 20s since that U.S. Open. Okay, in like 11 starts or 14 starts or whatever it is. He's just been so good. He has an elite skill set, the elite skill set being the driver. He's awesome off the tee. He's sneaky long. He's great on approaches. He leads this field in strokes gain total. Leads the field in strokes gain total. He's second in this field on approaches. It's just been this little blip recently in the last month or so that he hasn't posted any good results. Hoping he can work his way through it because it's a really good number on a really good player. And also, uh, we've not seen Victor in this tournament, but we've seen him at Pebble Beach. He played... The U.S. Open last year as an amateur finished in a tie for 12th. He was not only the top amateur, but he beat, what, 90% of the field uh, of all of the pros? So that's these are the types of things that get you excited about him. That was really his coming out party. Uh, turned pro the next week, I believe, and then, you know, went on that run at the end of last year, Gets goes down to the Corn Ferry Tour, gets his... Uh, uh, gets his card, comes back, he's ready to rock and roll. So um, the other thing is this this number, There's the numbers are kind of all over the place. 35 to 1. I was looking back at some of his, his, of his historic numbers, or at least the last couple of weeks, in similar type fields um, where it's not a very good field. 18 to 1 at Mayakoba is what his number was. He was 14 to 1 at Greenbrier, and he was 20 to 1 at the CJ Cup. All are pretty weak fields. The CJ Cup's a no-cut event. Uh, Greenbrier is probably a much weaker field than this one. Mayakoba is very similar, where you're going to get one or two big names, and then it's going to be kind of a nothing burger after that. But 18 to 1 at Mayakoba, 35 to 1 here at a place we saw him play well for the U.S. Open. Like, yeah, that's that's the type of stuff that gets my attention. Um, so Victor is a, in a pretty good spot here, I believe. Um, then I kind of make a big jump. So when we talk about my betting strategy and things like that, which we'll talk about, um, it's kind of a dead zone between that 35 and like. 80, 70, 80. There's not a lot going on there. It, these are usually the guys that you see in like the 100 to 1 mark, but because this field's so weak, everybody gets a bump. Really hard to pay the, the prices on some of these guys, but there is someone who stuck out to me at 70 to 1, and that's Max Homa, who, if you remember, he won the Wells Fargo Championship last year by like three shots. Um, so it hasn't been that long since he's been a PGA Tour winner, has kind of flown under the radar a bit since then, but I don't know if he's going to be able to continue to do that if he continues to play as well as he has recently, which is a tie for sixth and a tie for ninth in the last two weeks. He had a 10th place finish last year here at Pebble. And here's the thing, okay? So you're looking at Homa, he's 70 to one to win, but he's 12 to one for a top five and six to one for a top 10. Those other two numbers, the top five and the top 10 are probably the numbers that I like more. Uh, again, it's difficult to win on the PGA tour. We just saw Homa bank two top tens in a row. If he does it again this week, he's going to earn you six to one on your money, 12 to one on top five. That's a pretty good place to be. Additionally, let me see how I can put this. In a historical context around strokes gained, uh, which compares you to the rest of the field on a given day, Homa has been uh, very good in this event 
and he has also been very good on Sundays, which the reason I chose Sundays is because those are the days that I know everyone is playing Pebble Beach because that's the host course. Everyone, no matter where you played for the first three days, is coming back to Pebble Beach for Sunday. So that was a good way for me to be able to compare who all played the same course on the same day. Last two years on Sunday, Max Homa has averaged 3.7 strokes gained in those two rounds. It is like a massive number. It's by far the most of anybody um, in this field. And three of his top 11 career rounds have come here at this event. So clearly a place that Homa finds great refuge in. Uh, uh, Combine that with the fact that he's playing really well at the moment. He's a PGA Tour winner and you can get him still at 12 to 1 for a top 5, 6 to 1 for a top 10. That checks a lot of boxes for me. I'm going to be, spoiler alert, I'm betting that, okay? Um, Then it starts to get really crazy. So when you get get down past this number, you start to see some names that you would really never want to to bet, quite frankly. Um, And then there's intertwined in those names, there's a few guys that I do find somewhat interesting. So Ches Reeves here, 85 to 1. 14 to 1 for a top 5, 7.5 to 1 for a top 10. It is not a good run for Chess. He's missed three straight cuts. He's he's missed the cut in four of his last five events. But if you give me an event and you say, this is a shorter course, this course requires good iron play, um, Chess Reeve is going to be one of the first names that I think about. Because he's not long off the tee, but he's very accurate. And he hits his irons well historically. The good news out of him, even in this bad run that he's in, his approaches have still been okay. He's gained in nine of his last 11 starts on approaches. It's his putting that has been absolutely horrible, which is crazy to say about Ches Reeve. But he's been absolutely brutal on the greens. But I will say it has been improving. He bottomed out like six or seven starts ago. He bottomed out putting. It's still not great, but it's getting better over the course of the last couple of weeks. And not only do I think this should be a good fit for him, this like has historically been a good fit in the sense that he had a second place finish here two years ago. So what are we nine months removed from his last win? Like he's, he's won recently on the PGA tour. This course should fit Ches Reeve. I think I'm buying in. I don't know if I like the the win number at 85, but maybe like a top 10, seven and a half to one. That's more interesting. And then the last guy I saw here is Lonto Griffin, who is now down to 100 to one. You should see the names around this guy. 100 to one, 16 to one, top five, seven and a half to one for a top 10. He lost 10.9 strokes last week. Woo! That is by far the worst of his career. Almost twice as bad as any other tournament he's ever played in. Um, Really, really bad. So I don't know what happened. It was not a good two weeks or two days for Lonto at the Waste Management. Um, But we're really only two weeks removed from his seventh place finish at the Sony Open. That was like three weeks ago. We are six starts removed from him winning on the PGA Tour. He's still 25th in strokes gain total for this season. So it's weird to see him this deep. I'm not willing to write him off and say, wow, he's missed two straight cuts, including a historically bad week. 
Three weeks ago, he was just fine. He had a seventh place finish. I'm willing to say that was a really bad week. Let's see what he does moving forward because he is, he had that stretch of top 20s where he was rattling off like seven straight top 20s to begin the year. He is a very consistent golfer. This this start that he had last week where he lost so many strokes is almost certainly going to be an outlier when we look back at this. So I'm considering Lonto, uh, probably not the 100 to one uh, outright market, but that's seven and a half to one number to finish in the top 10, certainly in the realm of possibilities. All right. On the other side, we'll wrap this up, give you a few final thoughts, maybe a little betting strategy. And then the guys that are actually going to get on my betting card for this week. Are you ready for the nation's first and only free 24-hour network dedicated to you, the betting and fantasy sports enthusiast? SportsGrid will provide you with real-time content, statistics, and gaming intelligence unlike anything you've ever seen before. Located both in the heart of New York City and inside the FanDuel Sportsbook at the Meadowlands, SportsGrid is live 18 hours a day, here to serve you, the fanatic. This is SportsGrid. Get on the grid. Welcome back to Golf Betting On Demand, and we've covered a lot already in this episode. We've covered, uh, well, first we started with reviewing last week's waste management, which uh, we'll talk about more in a second because of the strategy that I think got involved in in the ability for me to end up cashing a Webb Simpson 16 to 1 ticket. Uh, we talked about the course preview, or should I say courses preview for this week, because it is a three-course rotation on the PGA Tour. Pebble Beach, uh, Monterey Peninsula, and Spyglass Hill. You'll see amateurs out there, which means just uh, Dustin Johnson will be hauling around Wayne Gretzky all week and all that good stuff. Uh, we covered the studs at the top. We went to the middle tier, and then we did some long shots as well. But what I think we need to talk about is a little bit of strategy because um, I think it's important every week, but I certainly think it is important this week. The idea of live betting is becoming so much easier to do. Uh, the information that, that is helping you succeed is becoming much more readily uh, available. And the books are not necessarily uh, adjusting enough. So let me back up and explain. So when I said I bet Webb Simpson at 16 to 1 after two rounds last week at the Waste Management, I bet him and Xander Shoffley. Um Webb was 12 to 1 to start the tournament. I got him at 16. I had some Twitter followers who got him at like 66 to 1 at one point during the tournament. Um, what, the reason that I even considered Webb and Xander in that spot was pretty straightforward. Um, I looked at the live strokes gained, which you can find live strokes gained leaderboards. I got one on my site, they're available. Um, and you can see by rounds or by two rounds uh, where the strokes are being won or lost by every golfer on the field. When I looked at it, I could see that Webb and Xander were leading the field or very close to leading the field uh, in strokes gained T2 green, which is a very sticky, meaning that it's a stat that if you're playing well, if you're doing well in that category, you are likely to continue to do well in that category. Or if you're doing poorly, you are continue, you are uh, likely to continue to do poorly but they weren't gaining a lot putting. So when you looked at the leaderboard 
and you know John Rahm was up there, and um, there were some there were some no name guys up there. I forget who they were, but basically you looked at it, and a lot of them were gaining four or five strokes putting over two rounds, which is completely unsustainable. That would be like like the best putter on tour over the entire season, like someone like a Denny McCarthy gains like one stroke per round. So for you to gain five or six over two rounds, you are well above your expectation. Especially, especially, excuse me, because putting is so volatile. Okay. It, it, you know, a few lip outs here and there, you're missing by tiny, tiny margins when you miss. Um, that you can very easily bounce around, gain three, lose four, gain four, lose three. You can bounce around round to round. So it is unrealistic to think, I think Billy Horschel was one of them. He was like gaining like six strokes putting through two rounds. It's highly unlikely to think he's going to gain six more over the next two days. And if the rest of your game is not well, if if your approaches aren't, aren't, aren't going well, if your off the tee game isn't going well, and the only thing that you're able to rely on is a super hot putter, you're in big trouble. So that's why I'll never bet those guys that are gaining on putting and doing and playing crappy everywhere else. I want the opposite of that. And Xander and Webb were the opposite of that. They were guys who were hitting it well and had only gained they, they gained less than one stroke putting, which they were the uh, best tee to green guys and the worst putting guys that I thought were still in the realm of possibility for them coming back. So they're both like in the top 15. You know, you could have that situation, but if someone's in a tie for 50th, they're probably not coming back no matter what they do, right? You need to be four, five, six shots behind the leader, something like that to still be able to make it up. So that's the type of stuff I look for in live betting. Um, which can be used for a lot of different purposes. So not only for outrights, but I use this a lot for round-to-round matchups. Again, I did it successfully uh, uh, this week. An example would have been on Sunday. So I looked back at the strokes gain numbers from, from the third round and also from the rest of the tournament and saw, wow, Sung J.M. was playing really well tee to green, but he was put- he was losing strokes putting. And Gary Woodland was the opposite. Gary Woodland was putting the lights out, but not really playing great everywhere else. So that was a final round matchup that was available to me. I bet Sung J.M. over Gary Woodland cashes. Um, those are the types of things that gen- obviously they're not going to win every time. Nothing wins every time. But this information is out there for you, and it hits at a very high rate because you're just you're basically just banking on regression. You're banking on volatility and randomness, which golf is very random, but when you actually embrace the randomness and and bet on the volatility, you tend to come out on top. It's kind of a little counterintuitive. Additionally, in weeks like this, the Pe- uh, Pebble Beach Pro-Am, three different courses, the books are going to have a hard time adjusting to this because here's what is inevitably going to happen. One or two of these courses is going to play easier than the others. So what's going to happen is someone is going to jump out to the lead, playing the two easy courses, and they're going to be the favorite to win the golf tournament after 36 holes, something like that. While you're going to have a guy who is a few shots back, who played probably Pebble Beach, which is the harder course, and maybe the second hardest course, and he still has the easy course coming, that 
he's gonna his odds are gonna be longer than they absolutely should be. A similar situation. Ricky Fowler ran into this what two three weeks ago at the American Express. He played the two easy courses first and he shredded them. He was 15 under after two rounds. Then he had to go play the difficult uh, PGA West course, right, which is the host course, for the final two rounds, and he was like two under par the next two days. This stuff happens. So what I encourage you to do is be aware of what the scoring averages are each day for each course and see, hey, is this course playing more difficult than we thought? Is this course playing easier than we thought? And then look at who still has those uh, ho- those courses available to play to them and make your decisions accordingly because the books are just really going to try to just look at what the score is right now, probably not take into account as much as they should what courses they have to play and go from there. Now, if you're trying to use my strokes gain metrics, um, be sure to know that Pebble Beach is going to be the only course with strokes gain data this week. So if you have a guy who's playing Pebble Beach um, Saturday and then Sunday, you could use that information because um, they'll, you know, whatever they do Saturday, they're going to back it up the next day. You might not want to necessarily use it. You could, but you might not necessarily want to use it where they play Pebble Beach one day and then they go play another course another day. That might not be so great. And then finally, um, in terms of bet sizing, this is kind of where I see a lot of other issues or questions or whatever that comes up. Um, I do not bet the same amount on every single bet. I obviously use a a unit uh, type of scenario where I say, okay, my unit for for round number, say my unit is ten dollars, and I want to wait, and I want to risk five units a week. I'm willing to spend fifty dollars on bets a week. I spread out those five units across different golfers. Uh, I might say, okay. Uh, one full unit on Dustin Johnson because that's who I really like. And then I say, okay, well, a half a unit on this guy to finish in the top five because that's you know more unlikely. Or, oh, this is a really big long shot. Maybe I only want to take uh, you know a, a quarter of a unit on him, something like that. And then it all adds up to be five units. That's very just kind of generic way to look at it, but that's kind of where I'm going. And then also... Uh, what I also employ is kind of that target strategy, right? Where I say, okay, um, when I win an outright, I want to win X amount of dollars. Uh, and now based on the golfer's odds, if I need to win X number of dollars and they're six and a half to one, I need to bet more on a golfer who is six and a half to one than I do on a golfer who is 25 to one to get to that number. Uh, and then that helps you with your bet sizing as well. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about bet sizing. Let's talk about our actual bets that I'm putting in for this week. And here's where I currently stand. I've got a pretty uh, small betting slip at the moment. I did go out and get DJ. Uh, I, I think in the history of golf betting on demand, this is the shortest bet I've ever made. But six and a half to one, when the precedent of this number, seven to one, eight to one, nine to one, has been guys in much worse or much more difficult fields, I should say, in much more difficult courses and courses that they don't have as good of course history. That's the precedent. And now I'm getting it in a situation where this field is super weak and DJ has been super awesome here and he's playing well. That feels like the chance to do it Uh, because of the rest of these jabronis, I don't really want to bet on. Um, So I've got DJ at six and a half to one. And then I went down to uh, Victor Hovland at 30. I got him at 35. 
I believe he has winning upside. Again, this is really just comparing his odds against other odds that we've seen him at. Uh, 18 to 1 at Mayakoba, 14 to 1 at Greenbrier, and 20 to 1 at the CJ Cup. This is a much better situation for him in a much weaker field than probably at least two of those other events. The Greenbrier was probably uh, a, a much a weaker field, but Vic is here. Um, I'm willing to bet him at 35 to 1. And then all I, the only other thing I did is I bet a top five and a top 10 on Max Homa at 12 and 6 to 1 because I really like the position that he is trending in. Now, I've left my my betting slip fairly light because I do want to save some bullets for 36 rounds, 54 rounds, and my matchup bets per each round. So I've given myself a little uh, leeway in, in what I'm actually putting out there. That's it. AT&T, Pebble Beach Pro-Am. A uh, lot going on this week, and there will be a lot more information coming out as tee times and course rotations are determined. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Rick Rungood for a lot of that information. I will tweet out as much as possible because there's going to be a ton of stuff going on this week. But yeah, should be a fun one. You're going to see a lot of celebrities. You're going to see a lot of birdies. It should be fun. I wish you the best of luck this week. Build digital-first customer relationships with Salesforce Digital 360. Connect every marketing, commerce, and digital experience on a single platform. Innovate fast with easy-to-launch sites, campaigns, and apps. That's more relationships, more revenue, more return, and more success. Salesforce Digital 360. Hear from our customers at sfdc.co slash digital360. Contact World is a technology and media company dedicated to improving public health. And our podcast is our opportunity to dive into hot topics that are relevant to you, from contact tracing to vaccines to social and racial justice. We may not have all the answers, but you deserve to know what goes on in your neighborhood and the decisions that affect you and your family's health. I'm Justin Beck. Join me and my co-host, Catherine and Deep D, as we seek truth in health. Listen to Contact World, the podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.